I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Blue Jays Nation Radio, episode 170, as always, brought to you by Botano, the 2023 EGR brand of the year. The game starts now at Botano.ca, 19+. Please play responsibly. We'll have some odds for Jays versus Cubs a little bit later on in the show. But for now, Coomsey, let's dig into that four-gamer against the Cleveland Guardians. And there were frustrating moments. We will get into those frustrating moments of the last four games. But when you look at this road trip as a whole, seven games, you go five and two. You don't have your best hitter in Bo Bichette. You don't have your closer in Jordan Romano. You don't have Trevor Richards either. When you look at kind of the situation heading into it, five and two on that road trip is damn impressive. Yeah, it's best case scenario for the Cleveland crew. They swept uh, the Red Sox and then they go into Cleveland and they don't sweep their old buddies. Nice little split. But yeah, jokes aside, I mean, if if you had told me after the Orioles series and like we both remember how how down, how doom and gloom we both were after that. We were like, this is the end of the road. They're going to go into Boston. They're going to get swept. It's game over. This is terrible. If you had told us at that exact time, they'd go five and two against Two teams that they're not terrible, the Guardians and the Red Sox. They might not be playoff teams. They're not great, but they're not bad. They're not rollover and automatic win teams. This isn't the Oakland A's and Kansas City Royals. If you had told us they were going to go five and two in this stretch, I think everyone would have been happy. It's just that the series against the Guardians kind of showed all of the things that people don't like about this team, which is they don't score runs. They don't, they're not a huge offensive club. They're a club that wins based on good pitching and good defense and run prevention. And sometimes that's boring to watch. And it's frustrating to watch as well. We'll talk about that, but again, five and two. Let's start with the ups here. Let's get some good vibes going early on in the podcast. And to start, I, th- I think you could give an easy first up to Kevin Gosman. Seven innings, zero earned runs, only the four base runners as well because he didn't walk anyone. Six strikeouts, a really, really good one in game three by Kevin Gosman. And they needed it because they only got one run in that ball game. And it came in the first inning when George Springer went yard. Uh, but the other name that gets lumped in to the ups for strong starting pitching performances is Hunjin Ryu. Um, he was awesome. He was what? Perfect through four. It was looking really, really good. And he takes a comebacker right off the knee and it ends his day. It looked really, really ugly as well. But let's maybe just start with how good Ryu looked, man. Like that was vintage Hunjin Ryu. 
Yeah, it was. It was probably the best that I can remember seeing Ryu since the 2020 season when he was a finalist for the Cy Young. Pretty much dragged the Jays into a playoff spot that year as pretty as like their only good starter, really. I mean, it, it was vintage engine Ryu on the mound. And the unfortunate thing about this start was that the knee thing happened right after he should have ended an inning. So you said he was perfect through four. He, he technically was, four, but yeah. wasn't officially because he walked a batter, though the, the ball four call should have been a strike three call. And then the next guy comes up and drills him in the, in the leg with a pitch or with a, with a comebacker. And um, the frustrating thing is there, like, you know, he was, he was cruising. He went through four innings, only allowed the one walk, no earned run, struck out two, and to Ryu's credit, he does wind up making the play defensively despite being in pain. But then he, you know, winds up on the ground. He's holding his knee. I think the anxiety at that time was, oh, maybe he pulled something or maybe he tore, you know, a knee muscle or yeah. something in his leg. And fortunately, and I guess what kind of ultimately makes this an up is that Ryu will make his next scheduled start against the Cubs on Sunday. Won't need to stint on the injured list because how much would that suck if Ryu just came all the way back from Tommy John? Did it really quickly. There was a lot of optimism. He he looked really good in that start. Didn't look great against the Orioles in his first start, but the, the start against Cleveland was really encouraging. So it would have really sucked if Ryu wound up back on the injured list, but thankfully he appears to be fine. Yeah, so a big first up to both Gosman and Ryu. There's also, speaking of domino effects, a bit of a domino effect that's coming out of Ryu being healthy enough to make his next start. Uh, some roster moves today from the Toronto Blue Jays. Talk about that in just a second. Uh, but Ryu, great early. The win in game one, though, quickly became the Kevin Biggio game. Uh, he goes yard, gets a big home run, and then turns an incredibly rare double play. Ground ball to second. Basically, an unassisted double play by a second baseman where the final out is recorded at first base. I think Dan Schulman said on the broadcast the next day that that hasn't happened since like 2018. It's been like five seasons since that play has happened in a baseball game. But Biggio was fired up. He made a big play. He drove in a couple of big runs with the dinger. Again, he is what he is at this point. He's a bench player. He's a role player. But to get a big moment from a bench player and a role player is significant. He was awesome. Yeah, it's it's nice to see different guys contribute. We've said this a few times. The Jays aren't the same dominant lineup they used to be. So you're going to need random guys to come through here and there. I don't think anyone's sitting here expecting Kevin Biggio to be the everyday second baseman who, you know, puts up an 800 OPS like he did in his rookie season. But at this point, the deeper the Blue Jays roster gets... And the more Cabin Biggio's kind of slid back into a super utility guy platoon role, the better for him. And I think the better for the team. He he gets a lot of crap because, you know, the last name and the expectations. He was kind of one of the big three coming up, though he was ne- obviously never as highly touted as Bo Bichette or Vladdy Jr. But the thing with Biggio is that he's actually been quite good this season if you just take away a terrible month of, of, of April. Since the start of May, he's got a 769 OPS. He's got six home runs. He plays multiple different positions. He's one of the few batters in the team that will actually see pitches and doesn't strike out really quickly. He's, he's honestly like developed into a very solid bench player. And it's just there's so many narratives around him that I don't think that many fans or many observers really think critically about exactly what he is. And in the role that he's performing and now he's he's doing quite well yeah he hit 267 in the month of july he's a guy again 
Never going to be a superstar. That ship has obviously sailed. He's never going to be an all-star, but he's going to have himself a really good MLB career. Like he's going to stick in the league. This isn't one of those guys who were just, you know, overinflating because he's a Blue Jay. I think if there was a point in the off season where the Jays like, hey, we're moving on from you, he'd find another home. Like he's good enough to be on a 26 man roster for a, for a handful of teams around the league and him showing that he's capable of doing things like he did in game one of that series against Cleveland. Uh, It gets a big up. It's good and fun to see guys like that smiling and getting fired up in the clubhouse. Uh, For our third up of this series, we gave him a bunch of love after that Red Sox series. Baseball's a weird sport, man. A week ago, George Springer was the coldest hitter on the planet, not even just in Major League Baseball. Like You could not get colder than George Springer. And now you look at what he's doing. I mean, he goes three for four in the one game, hits the solo bomb, Again, massive reason. One of the only reasons they were able to win that game. But over this last stretch, man, Springer is suddenly red hot on that seven game road trip. George Springer batted 500, 500. Unbelievable. Uh, he was slugging 750 on base again, 516. Like he is, this is vintage George Springer. And it's crazy to see how quickly it flipped around. Yeah, that's the thing for me that I think is the big positive was that, you know, it was it was horrible watching Springer go in that slump where he was what, like zero for 35, didn't have a hit for pretty much a week. And it was it was a a miserable slog. And you kind of ask the question, you know, is this guy washed? Is he still a good player? Like, man, we're only halfway through this contract. This doesn't look good at all. But then on a dime, he just flips all the way around. And you're reminded exactly why the Blue Jays brought this guy in in the first place. The Blue Jays really need George Springer to step up in Bobachet's absence. He's one of those guys that sets the table. He's a heartbeat of the offense. And if he's hitting well, the team's more than likely hitting well, though they didn't really hit well in Cleveland at all. But hey, imagine where they would have been if uh, George Springer was still cold during that series. They probably wouldn't have scored a single run. <laughs> they would have gotten shut out in back-to-back games. You mentioned he's the heartbeat of the offense. There's also the element, and, and we talked about this again on the last episode, when people were like, oh, would you pay to get out of that Springer contract this winter? Like, you might have to. I saw uh, John Morosi was on with Blair and Barker and was talking, bringing that up. And it's like, he's not just the heartbeat of the, he's the heartbeat of the clubhouse, man. Like even when he was struggling, he wasn't, you know, moping around and bitching and smashing his bat in the dugout. Like there was moments of frustration, but you were still getting, you know, before the game, George Springer laughing with his teammates and things like that. Like he's a really good leader to have around. So Again, is he going to be the George Springer of his Astros years for the rest of his contract? No, not even close. But you're going to get stretches like this where he is red hot and capable of borderline carrying an offense. So George Springer gets a big up as well. Ryu, Gosman, Biggio, Springer. Those were the standout performers from this series against Cleveland in a positive way. Um, Let's get to the downs, though, because there was plenty not to like and probably nothing more frustrating, Cam, than... The, the runners in scoring position thing and the way the offense will just dry up at the worst possible moments. Um, you go to game two of the series, which was their first loss, one nothing. They left nine runners on base in that series um, with runners in scoring position. I mean, they had eight runners in scoring position in the game and didn't drive one in. Their batting average with runners in scoring position looked good in that game. They went two for eight, but they didn't drive in a single run. And then you go to the next loss as well. I mean, even the game when they won, won nothing. That was frustrating. One for six with runners in scoring position. But in game four of that series, bases loaded, none out, and you can't get a run in. 
it was brutal, man. Like, I don't understand what it is. I think it's very easy to, you know, jump down Guillermo Martinez's throat and be like, oh, it's the hating coach. You got to fire the hating coach. Maybe it's an approach thing. I don't get it. I'm kind of out of answers. Why this team's offense dries up with runners in scoring position and why they can't find a way to just get that clutch little base knock. It's it's insane. Yeah, it, it truly doesn't make any sense. It's like as soon as they see a runner at second and third, everything just completely shifts. And it's not like it's not like it's, you know, in the previous years, there was always that criticism that every single guy on the Jays one through nine was sitting back and trying to hit a home run at all times. And that was the criticism. And now you see in this series against Cleveland, and we've seen it before throughout the season, but it was so present in the series in Cleveland that when they have guys on, even <laughs> they still come through and they hit and they hit singles. And that's what their approach is. And even when you're doing that, the runs aren't coming around because you're not hitting for extra bases. So it's like, you know, is it them sitting back and trying to hit dingers? Is it trying that? trying to play small ball and it's just not working honestly it, it who knows it doesn't even make sense it's confounding i think the reality just is is their 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 lineup is kind of mediocre it was built around they 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 sold from a position of strength in the offseason they had a lot of good right-handed hitters so they got rid of teoscar they got rid of guriel and the lineup's not as deep as it was. The expectation was that, you know, Vladdy takes a step forward. He's better than he was in 2022. That just straight up hasn't happened. We talked about Springer. He had that cold stretch. And then Bo Bichette, of course, is out with the injury. Matt Chapman hasn't been as good lately as he was, you know, to kick off the season. When you look at an MVP candidate, the reality is, is there's just some guys on the team that were expected to hit a certain way and they haven't done it that they haven't, they haven't done so thus far. And uh, I, I think when you're looking at runners in scoring position, all you're really ultimately doing is shrinking down your sample size and looking at something a little bit smaller, but still I, 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 there's something to it. There's something strange that, is impossible to put your finger on. But I guess the general answer I would give is that the offense is mediocre and it's kind of just what we should expect. It's a a team that's going to be frustrating and hard to watch. And that's just the way things have gone this year. Again, yeah, the the roller coaster ride that is the 2023 Blue Jays just absolutely continues. Um, Yeah, it's frustrating, man. Uh, I want to talk quickly about David Schneider. Not that I'm giving him a down at all, but on the surface, you would look at it like... (laughs) He didn't get a hit in the series against the Guardians, which is, again, after he started so hot, we joked last episode, like, there there will be a cold streak that brings him back down to earth. But I actually wanted to kind of go the other way. He could have been an up. I think this guy gives great at-bats, man. He is He's a bitch to get out. Like, he goes up there. He works counts late. He's very rarely, you know, rolling over the first pitch he sees for an easy ground ball. I There was the one annoying ground into a double play. Other than that, like... I walk away from almost all his at bats being like, man, like he fought pretty hard up there. I, I still like David Schneider a lot, even though the second series maybe didn't go as good as the first. Yeah, I agree. No, I don't, I don't think anybody in their right mind could have possibly expected. I mean, obviously not. He's not going to be like, he would have to be Barry Bonds prime steroid era to put up numbers like that for any stretch of time. And it's not going to happen. But at the end of the day, what the Jays need is guys lower in their lineup. I, I, I mentioned the comparison with Devin Travis from years ago. Devin Travis was never the main guy in Toronto's lineup, but he was one of those guys that helped make it deeper. He was one of those guys that always took good at bats. One of those guys who would just smack a single over the over the infielders and put it into the outfield. It, 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 Snyder has that similar energy. He just seems like the guy that deepens your lineup. He's not easy to pitch to. He's, he's a guy that might make sense 
batting behind like a Vladdy or a Matt Chapman. He's also a guy that would make sense higher up on the lineup because he sees pitches. I mean, this is a guy who just came up from AAA and is already contributing. Like you said, even in a series where the results don't look fantastic, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't come up with a hit. He's still having good at bats. He's still drawing walks. He's still good in the field. Like it's a very solid player to call up from AAA in the middle of your season. Yep. Uh, second down. I mean, let's be honest. The, the biggest thing that was wrong with the series was their inability to hit with runners in scoring position and why a team that is holding a playoff spot and has held a playoff spot or how a team that's holding a playoff spot can be 28th in OPS with runners in scoring position in the league. It's confounding. Um, but I guess the second down is that they wasted a damn good start from Yusei Kikuchi, who's got his ERA down to 3.53 on the year. Yeah, we could we could easily be talking about we I mean, I, like this is kind of like an up slash down. It's like yeah. Gucci pitched. Uh, he's been pitching really well lately, like probably not just his best stretch of games since he joined the Blue Jays, but perhaps the best stretch of games he's ever had in his career in the big leagues, including his time in Seattle. Like since that Mariners series, he did well against the Dodgers and then here against Cleveland. He puts up a really good start, pitches seven innings, only allows the one earned run. And I mean, if we're being honest, like. The one earned run that he did allow was a little bit of a defensive misplay in the left side of the infield. So it was another masterclass from Kikuchi. It's just the frustrating thing is they couldn't score runs for him and, and pick him up a win. And I guess that's, that's just like the omnipresent down of this entire episode is like, man, I, a four game series where the bats looked like that was just like a slog, just, just a slog. Like we can just say it over and over and over again, but that's just what it is. Yep. Uh, there was a moment in the game they lost one nothing when they had the bases loaded with one out and they didn't get anything out of it. And then there's the moment in game four where they had the bases loaded and none out. I mean, they lost by one in each of those games. We were two base hits away, arguably, from the Jays pulling off a four-game sweep of the Cleveland Guardians. It's just, And I know that's probably way too much of a glass half-full, Blue Jays colored glasses, whatever cliche you want to throw. It's it's too much of a that way to look at it. But still, they were close in those ball games and frustrating, but I'm not feeling as down about this team as I was after the Baltimore series, for example. Um, the third down we got, Alec Manoa started really well, and then kind of took a bit of a turn. And where we can kind of transition out of our three-up, three-down, Coombsy, is that the Jays, I mean, right before we started recording this podcast, optioned Alec Manoa down to AAA. Um, Hagen Danner, hard-throwing prospect, is going to come up for his first taste of Major League Baseball. On the surface, it's like, whoa, they sent down Manoa. And then you kind of think about it, and it's like, ah, this, when you look at the schedule, three days off in the next couple of weeks, like it actually kind of makes sense. Or yeah, really- this isn't... This isn't just some like knee jerk reaction to him having a shitty start against Cleveland. Like we talked about this uh, a couple podcasts ago or on the last one. It kind of makes sense to send him down because he's the guy with options here. You run through all the pitchers on the Blue Jays. Well, you're, what are you going to do? Like you can't option Ryu down. And I guess the other thing would have been if, if Ryu had actually gotten hurt, his knee was an issue, then he would have gone on the 15 day injured list. And Manoa would still be starting. It's just that, you know, Gosman's not going down. Kikuchi's not going down. Bass is not going down. Barrios isn't going down. So it was going to be one of the two. And, you know, Manoa had the rough start against Cleveland. He's got options. It's just, that's the way it is. It's a numbers game. If Manoa was pitching lights out, if he had another start like he did against Boston, maybe the Jays do something else. Maybe someone like Jay Jackson goes down. Who knows? But Manoa just, at the end of the day, hasn't pitched well enough. But 
The positive thing here is that he came up, you know, right before the all-star break, he filled in a few different starts so that Trevor Richards could move back to the bullpen until Hunjin Ryu was back. Now Ryu's back. Manoa's going to be that guy with options who probably goes back and forth from Toronto Buffalo a few times to make the roster work. And with there's two off days next week, there's another off day right after that. They don't need to have a six-man rotation right now. And they're in a pretty good position with six starters. Manoa's your sixth guy. It's a, it's a good problem to have, honestly. Yep. And uh, on the flip side, Hagen Danner is coming up in 28 and a third with the AAA Bisons. He is a 3.81 ERA and a 0.95 whip. So some good numbers or some good surface numbers from Danner down at AAA, 24 years old. going to come up and presumably make his major league debut at some point. And then we also kind of sets up the rotation a little bit as well as the Jays return home to take on the Chicago Cubs. Uh, we will preview that series in a second. But one of the big storylines heading into the weekend, Coombsy, is that it's Jose Bautista's weekend. He signed a one-day contract today and officially retired as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, the Jays are killing it on the social media side of this. We're getting a ton of really cool Jose Bautista stuff. Always, always a fun weekend when you can just kind of fondly look back on a, on an absolute legends career. Like he gave this franchise a couple of their most iconic moments. Yeah. Jose Bautista. I mean, I have have a a million good things I could say about him in his time with Toronto. I mean, think about where it all began 2008. They acquired him from the Pittsburgh pirates in exchange for like a third string catcher. He was just, let's fill up the roster with a fourth outfielder who can play second base. This guy had been claimed in the rule five draft. He played for five different teams one season because of the rule five, just bouncing around. He was, he was just a journeyman. He came to Toronto in his late twenties. And then in 2010, found his groove and hit 54 home runs, which still stands as the single season record for the franchise. And then over the decade, 2010 through 15, all-star every season, getting MVP votes most years, multiple silver sluggers. You know, he was a fantastic player and um, he was important in kind of bringing the team back to life. It was really hard being a Jays fan in the 2000s because there was good players in the mix, but not many of them stuck around. Like the one guy they, they leaned into to, to, to keep around forever was Vernon Wells who signed that huge contract. And he was a bit of a yo-yo having a good year and a bad year dealt with some injuries was kind of frustrating, but otherwise it was, you know, Sean Green didn't stick around Shannon Stewart, Carlos Delgado. And then, you know, the, the worst one of course was when Roy holiday got traded away. That was really sad. It was the end of an era. And then what coincided with holiday get traded away was immediately after Bautista erupted with that season and just brought the Jays back to life. Like if it weren't for that season, the team wouldn't have had a face. They would have had no personality whatsoever. And the organization just rallied around Bautista those years. He became the face of the franchise. He had that. He had such an interesting energy because he was such a competitive player. He was so cerebral. He took good at bats. He tried so hard. He was he was just like a fantastic face of your franchise. And then for him to help the team into the playoffs in 2015 and the 22 year drought hit that huge home run against Texas with the bat flip. Like, uh, I mean, I'm biased here because I was born in 93, so I wasn't around for the two world series wins. But for me, that bat flip is, is the number one moment in blue Jays history. I'll understand anybody who argues in favor of Joe Carter's home run. I, I get it. Fair enough. But just given the context, how bad they had been for two decades coming back in that series, it was, it was such a perfect moment for Bautista just encapsulate encapsulated, like everything he was as a player and everything he meant to the franchise going to be a great weekend it's going to be the date the jays have done really well with these ceremonies uh they honored russell martin 
recently, and that was a really good ceremony. I'm, I'm very excited for what they do with Bautista. I think it's going to be a very emotional one. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the bat flip, and like I'm, I'm with you as well. Um, it, it's that for me. Like that 2015 team created a generation of Jays fans in Canada, and that's not like that's not a stretch. Like I have friends who did not care about baseball before. 2015 happened, and I remember it was like our last year of high school. And I'm, I know I'm people are gonna roll their eyes at how young I am. It was our next year of high school or last year of high school then. And my buddies were like, "Man, I want to like play baseball. Like, I want to start playing baseball. Like, it, it had that kind of effect on people." Um, and you mentioned his career arc. Like in 2004, he played for Baltimore, Tampa Bay, Kansas City, and Pittsburgh. And then in 05, he played with Pittsburgh, but was like barely in the league. But what's crazy, I'm looking at those two years, man, 04 and 05. He had 127 plate appearances and didn't hit a home run. Like, you look at the way his career started, journeyman, couldn't hit a home run. The way it ends with him being a legend of one franchise known for his home run hitting, like, it's crazy to see kind of the journey he took. I think that journey is what made him so lovable as well. He played with fire and passion. He was exciting. He did all the right things kind of on the field. And then off the field, like you just had to respect how he got there. The dude hit 54 bombs one year. That is bananas. And what I also love about Jose Bautista, again, I've been listening to some of the interviews he's done with like Sportsnet Radio and stuff. He was asked about the bat flip and all that. And he basically turned the answer into like, I'm still pissed off about the strike call and like the way things went down in Kansas City. Like, unbelievable that, yeah, a weekend where you think he'd be like looking back fondly at all the memories. He's like, fuck, we didn't win. Yeah, it's it really never felt like it was just about him ever. It always felt like his number one thing was, I want to win. I want the team to win. And that's what it always was. And that's what made him such a lovable player. That's what made him the perfect face of the franchise. Like, I mean, you say um, uh, the, the, the 2015 team, it built a generation of Jays fans. Like, it was that season that was the reason this website exists. It's the reason we're sitting here right now talking about the Jays. It was the interest that came from that team that brought this to life. And at the center of all that's Bautista. If he doesn't break through with the Jays in 2010 and become what he was, who knows what that decade looks like for the Blue Jays. 40 home runs in 2015 too. Like, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, what a career he had. It's going to be awesome seeing his, uh, his name raised up and, and see that whole celebration. Cause you're right. The team does a great job of that. Um, all right. Jose Bautista day, a series against, the Chicago Cubs. Plenty of watch, plenty to watch heading into that one. Uh, before we dig into it, though, let's step aside, take a quick break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. All right, Coomzy, episode 170 of Blue Jays Nation Radio. We've recapped the series against the Guardians. We've, uh, you know, pontificated about Jose Bautista's career as a Toronto Blue Jay. So let's dig into the AL East report, bringing our pal Brandon Douglas. Brandon, did the standings shift in a favorable way for the Blue Jays? Depending how you define that, if we go back to our discussion from last episode about the Jays wanting to settle into that third wild card spot, I would say yes, I, that was very favorable for for that matchup. The only team to keep your eye on outside of division is the Seattle Mariners, who are the hottest team in baseball right now. They won eight in a row, um, including the most recent two over San Diego, nine and one in their last ten. They're only a game and a half back of the Jays, but still comfortable enough for the Jays um, being behind the Astros, who were. Winners of two and two of three against Baltimore this past week. A little bit of news coming out of the series for the Orioles was uh, Danny Colome uh, placed on a 15 day IL. He's had a pretty decent season uh, for the for the Orioles. Joey Crebiel called up to fill in for them in the bullpen. Cole Irvin uh, expected to start on Saturday. He's kind of been a bit of a, a bounce around guy for the Orioles coming out of the pen, doing some spot duty starting. Uh, that's what he's he's going to do this weekend. But I think the biggest news, and this is the one point I really wanted to get your guys' thoughts on uh, from around the division this week, was the suspension leveled against bro- uh, Orioles broadcaster Kevin Brown. He, in a, mo- mo- or, uh, in a recent series excuse me, against Tampa Bay, in his pregame hit uh, on the broadcast, basically just laying out the facts as they are, saying that Baltimore has been terrible in or at Tropicana Field. They've won more games this year at the Trop than in the previous, I think it was three seasons combined or something. Just saying it like it is, and almost certainly not even the one responsible for getting it on the broadcast. He's just the broadcaster. He gets fed this info. The team suspends him for saying this. And uh, the, out, the outcry from both Orioles fans and across baseball led to it. He's going to be back on the call here on Friday. But what did you guys make of this? Because as somebody, you know, in the quote-unquote broadcasting world and as a, a sports media person... It, it seems like he got dealt as raw of a deal as anybody here. Yeah, like when you're a team-affiliated broadcaster, there's always kind of the expectation that like, hey, the team cuts your checks, like you're going to be a bit of a homer. But that was insane. Um, I think if you've read any of the online reaction, there isn't even like a defense for the Orioles doing that. Like it doesn't make any sense. Um, but I did get a chuckle. I think it was the White Sox broadcast made some joke about, uh, you know, they were just sitting there talking during their game. Like, oh, the Rays are up on the Orioles or whatever. And the one guy goes, ha, ah, surprising. I thought the Orioles have won 257 straight games at the Trop. Um, <laughs> it was dumb. It's good to see that he's back. Um, and I, I think that's my take on it. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a it's funny because the Orioles have been kind of the model franchise this year. They're arguably the best team in the American League, arguably the best team in Major League Baseball. I guess Atlanta probably has that, but look, Baltimore came out of their rebuild and they're killing it. And then their owner, their upper management, went ahead and reminded everyone that the Orioles are the trash birds for a reason. Yeah. This is the kind of crap they do, you know. Like between 2017 and 2021, when they were tanking out, like yes, they were bad. Own it. Like there's a reason you have all these young prospects. You you tanked and you put out, you know, t- like low budget rosters that lost a hundred over a hundred games multiple years. Like what are you going to do? Hide from that and pretend it never happened? It's stupid. And I mean, the Orioles deserve to get made fun of relentlessly for this. When the Jays play Baltimore again, like I, I'll go on the Blue Jays Nation Twitter account and make jokes about it. Like, this is definitely something they should be made fun of for a long time. It's a shitty thing for the guy to have to go through the anxiety of losing his livelihood for a period of time and perhaps, like, you're dealing with the stress of maybe losing your job. And to do that because you're insecure about the way you managed your own team over the years, I mean, like, okay, if you don't want people talking about how cheap you were in the late 20, 2010s when you were tanking, then don't tank. Don't do it. You know, yeah. it was your choice to be that bad. They wanted those high draft picks. And <laughs> that's what you did. Like, what's wrong here? Like, why are you so insecure about it? It's it's stupid, but the Orioles are a joke and nothing changes even if they have a good record. They are what they are. Yeah. Um, elsewhere, Brandon, the Seattle Mariners are going to be a problem, aren't they? They're red hot. Yeah, and the, the Orioles can do the Jays a bit of a favor here as uh, as their good buddies taking over as the young, hot team on the rise. They play Seattle um, starting a West Coast road trip. The Orioles are with three games. So if the Orioles can pad their only to top the division, help themselves out, they would in turn be doing the Blue Jays a favor too and kind of taking some of the heat off of the Mariners as they creep up in behind the Jays in that third wild card spot. Uh, elsewhere around the division, though, the Yankees, they lose two of three in Chicago to the White Sox. Uh, writing's on the wall for the Yankees as they continue to to tumble down the standings. Um, they even went with an opener in the one in game number three, I think it was in front of Luis Severino to try and take some of the pressure off him. His struggles have been well documented this year. Didn't help though. Uh, still pitched terribly. The, the only bigger news coming out of the Yankees is that uh, owner Hal Steinbrenner comes out and says not directly, I guess, but some sources saying that uh, Brian Cashman won't be fired this year. He will be back as, as GM of the team. And I, We've seen owners uh, put stock behind their management team in, in all sports, and it doesn't always necessarily last. But the fact that that's even said or discussed, given the Yankees' season, I think is is worth noting. Uh, top pitching prospect Randy Vasquez, we've seen him a little bit earlier this season. He was called back up. He's likely to make the start here on Friday uh, in three starts this year. One one seven ERA, fifteen and a third innings pitched, ten to seven strikeout to walk ratio. So, one thing for Yankees to get excited about a young player back up in the lineup. The injury to Carlos Rodon doesn't look like it's going to be serious, probably on the IL till I think August 22nd is his earliest available date to return. They're scheduled to be right on track for that. The Yankees will now continue their road trip down in Miami. Three games versus the Marlins, who are a team right in the middle of a playoff battle in the National League. So nothing getting any easier for New York in the meantime. The Tampa Bay Rays, they lose two of three to the St. Louis Cardinals. Tyler Glasnow expected to um, make his return on Saturday. He'd missed his last start due, an in, in two, due to an injury, kind of a last-minute scratch for him. Uh, and Francisco Meja, who's the backup catcher for the team, he's close to a rehab assignment. Otherwise, not much going on with Tampa. They are still kind of hanging around about three games back of Baltimore for the division lead. They will now host Cleveland, the team we just saw, uh, host the Blue Jays. Tampa's going to be 
playing the Guardians for three games. And finally, the Boston Red Sox, they took two of three versus the Kansas City Royals. Uh, Trevor Story made his return to the lineup. Not a particularly good one, though, going one for 11 with seven strikeouts and one walk in the three games of the series. He was DHing in one of those games. But good news on the other side, Chris Sale, he is expected to return tonight, Friday, as they start a series with the Tigers. Going to be limited in his return, probably not uh, fully turned loose. And then Garrett Whitlock is expected back uh, to return to the rotation on Sunday. Justin Turner fighting through a bit of a heel injury. He missed one or two games in the series, but like it doesn't look like he's going to take a turn on the IL. He's just playing through it. So uh, Turner having a great season with the Red Sox. And um, that's a pretty well about it, guys. Like I said, the Red Sox will host the Tigers for three games before starting out on a lengthy road trip. But I will uh, just very quickly flash our standings up here on the screen for us once more just to take a quick peek. And uh, they're pretty much the same as we saw the last time we checked in. Baltimore's lead atop the division at three games. Toronto comfortably ahead of Boston. And like I said, one and a half ahead of Seattle in the wildcard race overall. Uh, four games back of Tampa if they wanted to try and move up in the wildcard standings. Interesting. That Seattle-Baltimore one is definitely the one to keep an eye on. Thanks, Brandon. You bet, guys. There you go. Uh, three against the Cubs this weekend, and it is a Cubs team that is there hitting the ball very well, Cam. And that is concerning. Over the last 15 days, they are second in team OPS. They are second in home runs, and they are third in runs scored. Uh, they're ripping the cover off the ball right now. That could be a problem for the Toronto Blue Jays. Jays going Barrios, Bassett, Ryu in this three-gamer. The Cubs are going with Javier Assad, Justin Steele, who's got some really good numbers on the air, and then Canadian Jamison Talion. No Marcus Stroman because he is on the IL. Uh, what are you watching closest, I guess, in this series, Cam? Yeah, I'm interested to see the Cubs because they came into this year with some expectations. Yeah, they, had a, they had a pretty busy offseason. They added some guys, Cody Bellinger being the big one. Uh, Tyon as well, another name. Those were both two guys that the Jays talked there. We were kind of in the rumor rail for the Jays to add both wind up in Chicago. Yeah. The Cubs got off to a pretty ho-hum start, but the, Amer- the, the central division, both in the American league and the national league, neither are good. So they're both wide open for whoever. And the Cubs since the all-star break have been flying. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what this team's all about. We're seeing two good pitchers, two young guys in Assad and Steele. Assad's area is 3.35 on the season, and Steele's is all the way down at 2.68. He's right in the conversation for National League Cy Young, I think. Tyon's had a difficult season. He's at 5.17 for his ERA. So that's the game you look at for the Jays as being like, you'd really like to have that one. And then you hope with Barrios and Bassett, you probably split the first two and then ultimately just take the series. I think that should be the expectation. Javier Assad in his last start against the Braves went three and two thirds, only allowing two earned runs. Not a guy who was particularly deep in ball games. Like he's not quite an opener either, but they basically trust him once, maybe twice through the lineup, and then they cycle out into their bullpen. So we'll see. I mean, hey, if you're the Jays and you can hit Assad early and you can get him out of the game in like an inning, two innings get quickly to the bullpen in game one. Maybe you could set the tone for a good series here. Our friends at Patano have the Blue Jays as minus 143 favorites on the money line, plus 127 on the run line, which would be to win by two or more. Over-under set at nine and a half for game one at the Dome as the Jays take on the Chicago Cubs. Enjoy Jose Bautista weekend and hopefully enjoy a winning weekend for the Jays, Coonsie. Best wishes. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 